So with the last episode on biological molecules, I finished on the emulsion test for lipids. So now I'm going to start on proteins. So what are proteins made from? So the monomers of proteins are amino acids. A dipeptide is formed when two amino acids join together. A polypeptide is formed when more than two amino acids join together. Proteins are made up of one or more polypeptides. So amino acid structure. Um, amino acids have the same general structure. So it's a carboxyl group, which is minus COOH, um, an, ami an, an amine or amino group, which is minus NH2, and an R group, which is also known as the variable group of the protein. So um, it's attached to a carbon atom. <clears throat> so R groups genuinely contain carbon. Um, the only exception for this rule is glycine. So the R group consists of just one hydrogen atom for that. Um, so all living things share a bank of only 20 amino acids and the only difference between all of them is their R group. Dipeptide and polypeptide formations. So amino acids are linked together by condensation reactions to form dipeptides and polypeptides. A molecule of water is released during the reaction. Um, the bonds formed between amino acids are called peptide bonds. Um, the reverse reaction, which is hydrolysis, happens when dipeptides and polypeptides are in fact broken down. Protein structure. Um, so proteins are very big, complicated molecules. They're much easier to explain um, if you describe the structure into four levels. So the levels of proteins are primary, secondary, tertiary and quaternary structures. Primary structure is quite easy to remember. It's just a sequence of amino acids in a polypeptide chain. Secondary structure is where the polypeptide chain doesn't remain flat and straight. Um, the hydrogen bonds form between the amino acids in the chain. This makes it automatically coil into an alpha helix or fold into beta pleated sheets. So this is the secondary structure. Tertiary structure. The coiled or folded chain of amino acids is often coiled and folded further. Um, more bonds form between different parts of the polypeptide chain. Um, including hydrogen bonds and ionic bonds. Um, disulfide bridges also form whenever two molecules of the amino acid cysteine come close together. Um, the sulfur atom in one cysteine bonds to the sulfur atom in the other. For proteins made from a single polypeptide chain, the tertiary structure forms their final 3D structure. Quaternary structure. Some proteins are made of several different polypeptide chains held together by bonds. So the quaternary structure is the way that these polypeptide chains are assembled together. For proteins made from more than one polypeptide chain, such as haemoglobin, insulin, um, the quaternary structure is the protein's final 3D structure. Shape and function. A protein's shape determines its function, so for example, haemoglobin is a compact soluble protein which makes it easier for transport. This makes it a great um, for carrying oxygen around the body, so there are loads of different proteins found in all living organisms. They've all got different structures and shapes which makes them specialised for particular jobs, so another example would be enzymes. So they're usually roughly spherical in shape due to the tight folding of polypeptide chains.
they're soluble and often have roles in metabolism. The burette test for proteins. So if you needed to find out if a substance um, contained protein, you'd use the burette test. So there are two stages to this test. The first um, part is where the test solution needs to be an alkaline. So first you're going to want to add a few drops of sodium hydroxide solution. Then you add some copper sulfate solution. So if a protein is present, the solution turns purple. If there's no protein, the solution will stay blue. Um, the colours can be fairly pale, so you need to look quite carefully. Just a recap on that one. So sodium hydroxide and copper sulfate solution. Add it to the test sample. Um, if it stays blue, that indicates no protein. Purple indicates protein. Thank you. Um, so enzymes speed up chemical reactions by acting as biological catalysts. They catalyse metabolic reactions at both a cellular and an extracellular level. Intercellular and extracellular. Um, they affect structures in an organism. So for example... Enzymes are involved with the production of collagen, which is an important protein in the connective tissues of animals, um, as well as functions like respiration. Um, enzyme action can be intracellular and extracellular, like I said earlier, which will mean that it can happen within the cells or outside of the cells. Um, enzymes are proteins. Um, they have an active site which has a specific shape. The active site is the part of the enzyme where the substrate molecules um, which is the substance that the enzyme interacts with, bind to. Um, enzymes are highly specific due to their tertiary structure. How enzymes speed up reactions? In a chemical reaction, a certain amount of energy needs to be supplied to the chemical before the reaction will start. This is called the activation energy. It's often provided as heat. Enzymes lower the amount of activation energy that's needed, often making reactions happen at lower temperatures than they could without an enzyme. This speeds up the rate of reaction. If two substrate molecules need to be joined, um, being attached to the enzyme holds them close together, reducing any repulsion between the molecules so they can bond more easily. Um, so enzyme substrate complexes is what lowers the activation energy. So that's one of the reasons that I've just said. And another reason is that if the enzyme is catalyzing a breakdown reaction, fitting into the active site puts a strain on bonds in the substrate. So the substrate molecule breaks up more easily. So models of enzyme action. So the first is the lock and key model. So enzymes are a bit picky and they only work with the substrate that fits their active site. Um, early scientists studying the action of enzymes came up with the lock and key model. This is where the substrate fits into the enzyme in the same way that a key would fit into a lock. Um, the active site and the substrate have a complementary shape. Um, scientists actually soon realised that the lock and key model didn't give the full story as the enzyme and substrate don't actually have to fit together in the first place, but new evidence showed that the enzyme-substrate complex changed shape slightly to complete the fit. Um, this locks the substrate even more tightly into the enzyme, so scientists sort of modified the old lock and key model and came up with a new induced fit model. Um, the induced fit model helps to explain why enzymes are so specific and only bond to one particular substrate. Um, so the substrate doesn't only have to be the right shape to fit the active site, um, it has to make the active site change shape in the right way as well. So this is a prime example of how a widely accepted theory can change when new evidence comes along. 
the induced fit model is still widely accepted for now anyway. Um, so enzyme properties. So enzyme properties are related to their tertiary structure. So enzymes are very specific. Um, they usually only catalyze one reaction. So for example, maltose only breaks down maltose. Um, sucrose only breaks down sucrose. Um, this is because only one complementary substrate will fit into the active site and the active site shape is determined by how the enzyme's tertiary structure is shaped. Um, each different enzyme has a different tertiary structure and so a different shaped active site. Um, if the substrate shape doesn't match the active site, an enzyme substrate complex won't be formed and the reaction won't be catalyzed. Um, if the tertiary structure of a protein is altered in any way, the shape of the active site will change. This means that the substrate won't fit into the active site, an enzyme substrate complex won't be formed and the enzyme will no longer be able to carry out its function. The tertiary structure of an enzyme may be altered by changes in pH or temperature. Um, the primary structure of a protein is determined by a gene. Um, if a mutation occurs in that gene, it could change the tertiary structure of the enzyme produced. Um, so factors affecting enzyme activity. So measuring enzyme activity, um, it can be done in two ways. So the first is how fast the product is made. So there are different molecules present at the end of a chemical reaction than there are at the beginning. So by measuring the amount of end product present at different times during the experiment, the reaction rate can be calculated. The second way is how fast the substrate is broken down. So to produce the end products in a reaction, substrate molecules have to be used up. Um, by measuring the amount of substrate molecules left at different times during the experiment, the reaction rate can be calculated. So the first factor affecting the rate of enzyme activity, activity is temperature. Um, so like any chemical reaction, the rate of enzyme controlled reaction increases when the temperature is increased because more heat means more kinetic energy, so the molecules move faster. Um, this makes the substrate molecules more likely to collide with the enzyme's active sites. Um, the energy of these collisions also increases, which means each collision is more likely to result in a reaction, but if the temperature gets too high, the reaction will stop. Um, the rise in temperature makes the enzymes and molecules vibrate more, so if the temperature goes above a certain level, then this vibration can break some of the bonds that hold the enzyme in shape. Um, the active sites changes um, shape and the enzyme substrate no longer fit together, so at this point the enzyme is denatured, which means it no longer functions as a catalyst. Um, every enzyme has an optimum temperature. For most human enzymes, it's around 37 degrees Celsius, but some enzymes, like the enzymes that are used in a biological washing powder, can work well at 60 degrees Celsius. pH. Um, all enzymes have an optimum pH value, so most human enzymes work best at pH 7, which is neutral, but there are exceptions. So pepsin, for example, works best at pH 2, which is quite acidic because it's useful... Um, and found in the stomach. Um, above and below the optimum pH, the H plus and the OH minus ions found in acids and alkalis can disrupt the ionic bonds and hydrogen bonds that hold the enzyme's tertiary structure in place, so the enzyme becomes denatured and the active site changes shape. Substrate concentration. Um, the higher the substrate concentration, the faster the reaction, because more substrate molecules means a collision between substrate 
um, an enzyme is more likely and so more active sites will be occupied. This is only true up until the saturation point though because after that then there are so many substrate molecules that the enzymes have about as much as they can cope with. Um, all the active sites will be full and there will be loads of enzyme substrate complexes full and then adding more will make no difference because there will be no enzymes left to bind to the substrates. Um, enzyme concentration. So the more enzyme molecules there are in a solution, the more likely a substrate molecule is to collide with one of them and form an enzyme substrate complex. So increasing the concentration of the enzyme increases the rate of reaction, but if the amount of substrate is limited, then there comes a point that there's um, more than enough enzyme molecules to deal with all of the available substrate, so adding more enzyme has no further effect. Enzyme inhibitors. So enzyme activity can be prevented by enzyme inhibitors. They are molecules that bind to the enzyme that they inhibit. Um, inhibition can be competitive and non-competitive. So competitive inhibitors. So competitive inhibitor molecules have a similar shape to that of the substrate molecules. They compete with the substrate molecules to bind to the active site but no reaction takes place. Instead, they block the active site so no substrate molecules can fit into it. Um, how much the enzyme is inhibited depends on the relation, depends on the relative um, concentrations of the inhibitor and substrate. If there's a high concentration of the inhibitor, then it will take up nearly all the active sites and hardly any of the substrate will get to the enzyme. But if there's a higher concentration of substrate, then the substrate's chances of getting to an active site before the inhibitor increase. So increasing the concentration of substrate will increase the rate of reaction up to a point. Non-competitive inhibitors. So non-competitive inhibitor molecules bind to the enzyme away from its active site. This causes the active site to change shape, so no substrate molecules can bind to it. Non-competitive inhibitor molecules don't compete with the substrate molecules to bind to the active site because they are a different shape. Um, so it increases the, increasing the concentration of substrate won't make any difference. Enzyme activity will still be inhibited.